love the snow, hate the snow, but we are in the snow. Um, but I'm excited to be here. Cody mentioned last night, this is our first Southeast Campus Retreat of the decade. Woo! It means like everything we do here, we can add that tagline to it. It makes it extra special. Like, this is my first time on a podium in a decade. Like, so anyway, I'm excited to be here. I am thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to introduce our guest speaker today, Veronique Weber. Um, she is one of my favorite people, and like, I'll get to explain why in a second. Couple things about her so that you kind of have an idea of what's in store. She's born in College Park, Georgia, and became a disciple in 2006 at the University of Georgia. Um, she's got a master's in speech and language pathology, has served in full time ministry for, for over four years. She's been married to Matt Weber for almost 10 years. She's got two little people that she's birthed herself, she's queen. MJ um, <laughs> is three, and Jillian is two. And she honestly is one of my most needed relationships relationships in the kingdom by far. Like probably over the last nine years, she's been someone who has consistently walked with me, listened to me, heard my issues, heard me cry. I mean, to the point where if I call and Jordan's like, oh, you on the phone with me, and I'm like, very neat. He's like, oh, cool, I will pray for you. <laughs> like, very neat is someone who gets my soul and she gets my, my heart and she gets my mind and she speaks life to me. One of my favorite stories that Verity shares, and, I, and some of my girls have heard me say this, so if you've, you've heard the stories, ladies from Atlanta, this is who I'm talking about. She was a disciple, and she was going through a hard time. She was going through a hard path, living kind of worldly, and one of the women that she was like being discipled by, or a big sister to her, was talking to her, and she was telling her about all these things going on in her life, and all, this, all these issues, right? And with a big smile on her face, this woman looks at her and goes, Verity, you're going to go straight to hell. You're going to take those boys with you. <laughs> and she went, <laughs> as we all would, right? Like she, but in that time in her life, she needed someone willing to say that, and she needed to hear that. And her life changed after that. So no matter how crazy our lives are, the grace of God is sufficient and works powerful in our weakness. And God has used her and transformed her and is still transforming her and changed her um, to be able to come to and speak to us today. So I hope that our hearts can be soft, our eyes can be open to the word of the Lord, um, and to be able to be uh, e like easy ears to hear Verity's stories, her heart, her conviction, and what, her, what has gotten her faithful since 2006. Um, to be able to walk this fight that has not just been a walk in the park, um, has thrown some curveballs and some stones, but she's here, she's radiant, she's beautiful, and she's joyful. Um, so I'm really excited to, to hear from someone who's been through life and is making it look good. <laughs> um, so let's pray, and then Veronique will come and speak to us. Uh, Holy God, you are a good, good father. Um, and I know for me, um, it's just so special to be able to sing that song and to be reminded of who I am in you um, and not be caught up in who the world wants me to be. And if you're who I want me to be, God, I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for the fact that we were all able to get to North Carolina and to be able to come and worship and get away from the chaos of everyday life and school and work and family. And just to sit at your feet, God, I pray that your spirit will speak through bare need right now. I pray that each of us can take away one sentence, God, that we can take home and work through and pray through and, and study out even more. But God, I just pray that this can be an impactful time, not because Veronique says exactly the right thing, but because our hearts are in the exactly right place to hear. Yeah. I love you so much, Miss and Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.
Although I also have one to say, women! All of these sessions start off with somebody saying, isn't it great to be here together as women? It's so cheesy, but I, I have to say it. it it's appropriate. Guys, thank you so much for having me this morning. I'm excited to be here. Um, this is such a surreal moment in my life. If anybody's heard me speak at all over the last, what, almost 24 hours, I've been like on a road of nostalgia. Um, just being in this room is kind of crazy because 10 years ago I was just sitting in your seat. And so it's just kind of strange to be here speaking when I feel like I was just sitting next to my best friends or sneaking a weasel day with Matt right here in this aisle, and then asking him to pray up the mountain and trying not to smile too hard while we're praying. Um, I just feel like all that was yesterday, but that was like 10 years ago. So I just want you guys to even think like, okay, what will God do with me in 10 years? Um, and what can I share to inspire people in 10 years? And so it's just an honor to be here to talk to you. You guys are so beautiful, and your hearts are willing to be here to learn more about God and to be transformed this weekend. So I'm excited to share my life with you um, and hopefully just drop some nuggets for you guys. Um, I heard somebody yell over here when I said we went to Toyota's house in College Park, so College Park. Okay. Um, but yeah, I wanted to share a little bit about my background. My title of my lesson is Chosen to Soar, and we'll get back to that later. But okay, so this picture up top is my baptism in 2006. Uh, and that was at the University of Georgia as a sophomore. The picture below is like part two of the picture that Matt showed at our first day last night. This is how I knew I liked him because I got my hair wet for him on the ice and like, you don't just do that for anybody, right? So I was like, yeah, there's something's here, something's here. So then this is our wedding photo, just a, couple, a few years after that photo, um, yeah, in Atlanta, Georgia in 2010. So it's almost, almost 10 years. Wow, that's crazy. Um, so yeah, so we used to live in Savannah, Georgia, so, so beautiful. Uh, this is like walking distance from our house, and now we live here. Yeah, that is also walking distance from our house. <laughs> so when I woke up in the snow, I, I can't say I was excited at all. Uh, but yeah, this is how we live now. But uh, yeah, I just want to share a little bit about my background. So I fell in love with God at the University of Georgia. I can we go back to the baptism photo I just want to show. <laughs> So the woman that's in the far right over here, I guess my right or left, that's Jasmine Hope. She's Jackson now. You guys probably know her here in North River. Um, so Jasmine and I became best friends freshman year in 2005 at the University of Georgia. Um, she was from a high school that I had friends go to, and the guy she liked in middle school ended up being my boyfriend in high school. And we ended up meeting because she walked past my dorm, and there was a girl on my wall, my best friend from high school, and that was actually her best friend growing up. From elementary school, middle school, and everything. So her first words to me were, why is my best friend on your wall? And so that started our conversation, and then we called that girl together, and we're like, just so giddy. And then we happened to be in the same weather and climate class. If y'all ever took weather and climate, it's the most boring class ever. And so I fell in love with Jasmine because all her notes would be notes and then like a line going down because she was falling asleep. It was awesome. And so we we became friends because we were the ones. Anybody had a Hope Scholarship? Is that still a thing in Georgia? Okay. So we had Hope Scholarship and it took care of your entire tuition for college. So this is not something that you want to lose. And if you did, you did not want to go home once you, once you lost it. And so Jasmine and I made a pact 
to keep hope all four years of college, so to keep free tuition. So we would drop everybody off at the clubs, and then we would go to the library and study together. And that's how we became best friends. And so her freshman year, somebody knocked on her dorm door and invited her to a Bible talk. And uh, she just transformed her life. If you go to the University of Georgia, you know there are some girls that dance for the basketball team, and they have like crop tops on and like the booty shorts. So that was Jasmine. She was, she was like one of the two, only two black girls to be chosen for this squad of like 20 girls. So it was a huge deal for her to be there. But when she became a disciple, she gave all that up. Um, she got rid of the clothes. She just changed her lifestyle completely. So watching all this happen, it really caught my attention. Like something is different about Jasmine. So I wanted to know about it. So she became a disciple our freshman year. I started studying after a horrible summer back home. Um, and I was baptized within two weeks of starting our sophomore year. And so Jasmine really started all that for me. And um, we're still best friends to this day. So that's, that's awesome. So that's my conversion story. But I want to share really about a lot of things that kept me caged in um, when I was at the University of Georgia. And uh, a lot of that was insecurity, fear, and mostly sin. And so I really caught this bug to really want to give my whole life to God when I went to the mission team, and I'll talk a little bit about that later. But I love the theme of this weekend. It's uncaged. And as soon as I heard that, I thought about birds, of course, because birds are uncaged. Um, but I thought that, you know, it's not natural for birds to be in cages. They weren't born that way. And so it's something that we do to them. And if you have birds in a cage at home, don't get mad at me. Okay, just go with my analogy. You might be a good bird mom, so I'm not, this is not meant for you to feel bad. Um, but I, you know, Google birds and birds in cages. And birds in cages are often so bored and lonely that they become aggressive and they can start hurting themselves. Don't go home and release your birds, please. Um, they pull out their own feathers, they injure their skin, they bob their hands around, they pace back and forth, peck over and over again at the cage bars, and shake or even collapse from anxiety. That's intense. Um, so for me, like, when I was reading this, it really hit me like a brick wall, because this really describes what I probably looked like to God in different times in my spiritual walk. Um, especially when I was in sin. I mean, I never walked around, like, pulled my own feathers out and, like, bobbing my head or anything like that. But I definitely feel like I was hurting myself and others with my sin and overwhelmed with anxiety, you know, to the point of, you know, wanting to collapse. And so I thought about what are some spiritual cages that we keep ourselves in? And I asked some of my friends, and they're up here. So fear, I think for women, anybody, is one of our biggest cages that we keep ourselves in. Can I do it? Am I supposed to be the one to do this? You know, just all these doubts and fears that we have about ourselves. L lies, like these are Satan's schemes, lies that we believe. Has anybody read The Lies That We Believe, that book? Here we go. Okay, one person. Okay, a couple people. Um, please read that book. It's incredible. It outlines all these different lies that we can believe in our lives, and it debunks them with the Bible, which is the only way that we really should um, be able to diffuse those lies in our lives. Insecurity. I just leave that there. That's a whole sentence right there. Um, sin and lack of repentance. And I think this is so huge that, of course, sin is a case. Matt talked about that last night. But then lack of repentance is a huge case because I think that, you know, when maybe you heard Matt talk, a sin maybe came to your mind, and maybe you even confessed it in Jesus last night. But then if you don't do anything with that past this weekend, then you're still caged in. 
Um, a lack of vision for yourself. We're going to talk about that a little later with a really creepy slide. But I think that, you know, a lot of times we just, we're Cajun and we're stuck where we are. We're very comfortable and we're just like, I'm just going to keep coming to Devo and midweek and not bring anybody with me and I'm not going to share my face when I go to class. And you just kind of don't have vision for the people next to you in your science class. You don't have vision for yourself in God's kingdom. You don't have vision for your campus ministry. So it keeps you caged in. Um, your emotions, huge cage. Huge cage. Our emotions can be so paralyzing that we don't even want to get up out of the bed anymore. Um, our comfort. Matt talked about that last night as well. Being a busy bee. This is my biggest cage. I'll just put you guys in. I like being busy. I like thrive on having a lot to do. Um, but I'm learning now at 33 how distracting that is from God's purpose for my life. That if I'm busy and doing all these things, then like God can't really work through me and I'm getting all the glory. Comparison to yourself and others. This is one that Jasmine brought up. So we compare ourselves to each other. I think we get that, but you can sometimes compare yourself to yourself. Like when I first became a disciple, I used to be on fire and I was bringing people out and I was doing XYZ and I memorized this book of the Bible and like now I just show up, you know. But we compare ourselves to others but also to ourselves. Um, I can do that as a mom now. Like when I had more time, when I slept, when I, you know, didn't wear the same clothes three days in a row. You know, I used to be able to do great things with God. Um, your role in society, you know, how you define success. Um, if you're defined by God's standards or by your own. Chasing an image, and I put the leader type, because I think a lot of times in our campus ministry, if we don't like our campus minister or even the girls in leadership, then we feel like we don't have a place in God's kingdom. And that's just not true. There is no leader image. There, I mean, look at the Bible. Who looks the same in the Bible? There's no cookie cutter. There's no uh, blueprint. But all it is to be a leader is to trust God. Um, people pleasing. This is my number one. Um, I can live myself in so many ways just because I'm afraid of what people will think, um, what they'll say. And especially when you first become a Christian, you want to please your family, not want to go home and step on toes. You know, want to stay close to your friends that you left behind in the world. Don't want to offend them so you don't share your quiet time, you don't share your faith, and you want to please people. And then the last one, but not least, uh, is desiring a relationship. So seeing everybody in your ministry boot up and getting so distracted by that, that that's your motivation. That's why you come to Diva. That's why you come to Mitty. That's why you, you know, go to these conferences to find that one. You know, that's distracting because God's trying to get your attention to fall in love with him. Yeah. Um, and, and you're looking over across the room at that, at that guy. That's a little distracting. Um, and so the same way that birds were created to not be caged in, we weren't either. We weren't created to be caged. We've been chosen to soar by God. And so the scripture that I want to use for today is Isaiah 40, 28 and 31. But even before we get there, I think if you read <clears throat> Isaiah 40 for your quiet time, it's so inspiring. And I, I just want to talk today about trusting God. And this scripture gives you all of the evidence for why you should trust God. Even starting off in Isaiah 40, verse 12, it says, Who else has held the oceans in his hands? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth? Who has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? I mean, I can barely look out the window and take all the mountains in, let alone, like, hold them and weigh them on a scale. You know, God is that big. He's that powerful. So somebody that can do all that is definitely trustworthy with our problems in our lives in, like, North Carolina or Georgia or whatever it may be. You know, but even in that same scripture, we see how gentle and loving and considerate God is as well. In verse 11, it says, 
says he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lamb in his arms. Holding them close to his heart, he will gently lead the mother sheep with her young. All these words in this scripture, feed, carry, close, gently, you know, these are ways that we describe God just as much as we describe him with the powerful words, we describe him with these gentle, loving words as well. So God not only wants to do powerful things in your life, he wants to carry you and love you gently as well. And so we read Isaiah 40. I want you guys to turn with me, Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. It says, have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youth grow, will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. Amen. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And I love this scripture because it shows you the key to being able to soar with God, which is to trust him. And that's so much easier said than done. But now we have the, the key to being able to soar like eagles is to trust God. You know, we are chosen to soar, but first we must trust. And trust gives us new strength. I love that. When we're weak and exhausted, we get new strength when we, when we learn to trust God and not ourselves. And so I like natural ge ge geographic. So I went online and I did some searching on eagles and eagle facts. And one of the first ones to pop up was the one that really cut me to the heart. And I wish it wasn't there, y'all. Um, but it says, eagles are able to soar for two hours by only flapping their wings for two minutes. I'm going to say that again. Eagles can soar in the sky for two hours after only flapping their wings for two minutes. So only two minutes of their own effort, and then God carries them the rest of the way. That should really, I mean, I wish it wasn't here, y'all. <laughs> but that should really speak to you. That, you know, the key to soaring and thriving and not just surviving is relying on God's strength and not your own. And, you know, as women, we have so many distractions that can surround us and we forget, and we, for, you know, forget to choose to soar. We get caught in the day-to-day, and it really clips our wings and puts us in cages. And this brings me to my first point, which is soar above your distractions. So turn me in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. You guys there? Okay. If you're not, you can just read up here. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily ties us up or trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding his shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So how does this scripture help us to soar? I mean, it, it just paints a picture for us. You can't soar with a heavy weight on your back. Have you ever seen a bird carrying around a boulder or a rock or any other bird? You know, it doesn't happen. They have to fly, fly freely in order to really soar. You know, the, we have to throw off the sin that entangles, the shackles, the change, the chains in our cage, and fix our eyes on things above, which is Jesus. You know, as Jesus 
taking our focus, you know, we, it, we can really take flight. And as soon as we stop looking vertically, we start looking horizontally at our own problems and people's problems and the issues in the world and the things that we feel like God can't do. And, you know, this really brings me to sharing about my junior year. So Toya kind of alluded to that conversation. So that's like the end of that stand. I'm going to go back a little bit to the beginning. Um, so as a sophomore, I was baptized, as I told you. So a year had gone by. This is my junior year. And at the University of Georgia, we have uh, fraternities and sororities. Um, and I'm sure there's everywhere. But there was a particular sorority that had not been on campus for many, many years, and they were bringing it back. And I grew up with a mother who's an AKA and a father who's an alpha. And so I grew up going to tailgates at Albany State University, cookouts, it was just like the way of life. So when they brought the sorority back, I was like, surely this is God telling me that this is my destiny. And so I went around and around with Jasmine because you know, her mother's an AKA as well. And we were just talking about like, would this please God? And of course, when you really want to do something, you'll make every excuse in the book to like finagle it to please God. I was like, oh yeah, I'll start a Bible talk. I can be a chaplain. Like, surely by the next semester, like, four girls get baptized. All this stuff. So I, I don't think I was truly lying to myself. I think some of those dreams were, were real. But for the most part, no matter what God's spirit would have told me, I think I would have gone along with it anyway. Um, and so I think that, you know, a lot of girls at conferences have heard, I mean, over the last, that was 2007, so many, many years, um, that I played a sorority, so I always get pulled to the side by some girl who's like, I've been thinking about this, you know, what, did, what happened with you, what was your story? And I don't feel like the sorority is a sin, I feel like the choices you make um, is the sin. <laughs> and so for me, the choices I made was like a progression. So I was told them I wasn't going to parties, I wasn't going to invite people to parties, because that's sin, and I'm better than that. What I'm going to do is I'll just decorate for your party and I'll leave. So I was decorating, and then I stayed a little bit just to make sure everything went well, and then that turned into attending the parties. That turned into inviting other disciples to the parties. That turned into being the last one to leave the party. That turned into being drunk at the parties. And then that so quickly turned into having sexual relationships with three guys, guys, within a year. Within a year. And so if you know about sorority, they're attached to a fraternity. And there were three guys in the fraternity that I was, you know, attached to that I started in peer relationships with within a year in succession. And just so quickly from I'm not coming to your party to I'm having a relationship with three non-disciples, um, it was like a blink of eye. And, and that's what Satan wants it to be. He wants you to be tripped up and entangled that easily. And it was my choice, my decision, just like Matt was saying last night, but you know, it's somewhere that I never saw myself. But because of my lack of convictions and not listening to advice, this is where I ended up. And so I had a discipler who, within that time, got married and moved to Philadelphia. And she was one of the other girls in the picture that baptized me. And she would have nightmares about me. Like, her spirit was so hurt there was something going on. She would call me in the middle of the night. And I would be in a guy's bed and lying to her. And she knew. She started working for Hope Worldwide. And she signed me up to go on Youth Corps in the summer of 2008. <laughs> And, I mean, she did my application everything. It was like her last effort to just get me in a holy place away from my sin. And I thank her all the time because the message that summer um, in Camp Hope for Kids in Philadelphia was, it's not about you. Besides Jesus is alive and he rose from the dead, that's the best message I've ever heard in my life. It's not about you. You know, the theme for that summer was that we had shirts that said it's all about God. We read a book by Max Ricardo, It's Not About Me. 
one of the best books I've ever read in my life besides the Bible. Um, it changed my whole view. I was doing my whole spiritual walk based on what I wanted and not what God wanted for me. I was making it about me, my decisions. I wanted to join a sorority. I wanted to do this. I wanted those relationships. I wanted the attention. You know, and God wanted to transform that thinking because he knew he had great things in store for me, but I couldn't see them. And so that summer, if you've ever been on youth tour, you know it's nothing but service all summer long. You just serve and serve and serve. So I went from teen camp to our camp to Camp Miracles to doing, you know, building and relief efforts for Hurricane Katrina to coming back and serving some more. So nothing takes you out of your own problems like serving somebody else. And I was really able to be in this place of like, I'm focused on Jesus and serving other people. And it changed my whole heart. Um, I think there, I really fell in love with God that summer. You know, I really wanted to be in love with God when I got baptized, but I fell in love with him that summer through serving like Jesus. And every night in those cabins, I prayed through Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. And it says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. And I pray that every night. And I'm telling you, God answered that prayer. So sometimes you don't even know what to pray. You just pray a scripture over and over and over again and wait for God to answer it. And he showed me exactly what I needed to change in my heart in order to glorify him. And I finally listened. After I listened to the sister who told me I was going to hell. You know, I listened to all that together. Um, and I went back after that summer and I cut those relationships off. You know, I told them, you know, and it's funny. Ooh, Satan's funny. But, you know, God is funnier. I would bring those guys to church, and I would introduce them to Matt, because I knew that Matt could study the Bible with anybody and baptize them. So I knew Matt would baptize my husband. And I would just pray that Matt would baptize my husband. So I brought all those guys to church, to Matt, because I knew he was, like, baptizing all these guys left and right. I was like, surely Matt would baptize my husband. So that was my prayer to God. And I just know he was laughing at me. Um, but that's how blind you can be when you're, like, focused on your own sin. But as soon as I got back to Georgia, the first church service, there was a brother who came to present an opportunity for a Clemson mission team. And it was this big orange paw that kept flashing on the screen. And it like, was a nightmare. It was just staying with me. It was just flashing and flashing. And I felt like God tugged my heartstrings. Like, this is where I was supposed to be. Now, I'm going into my senior year right now. So this is my last year of college. And I'm feeling God tug my heart to go on a mission team, to leave college and leave it all behind. And so my last semester, the January before I graduated, I went on a Clemson mission team. I just left it all behind. So that's me leaving my classes, um, me leaving my friends, and just moving to Clemson to be closer to God because I really wanted to show them that I was holding nothing back. I think the mistake we make as disciples is that we come into the kingdom on our terms, and then we hold things back from God. We're always carrying something with us. There's a picture of a little um, girl who has a small teddy bear behind her back. And Jesus has a big teddy bear behind his back. And he's saying, you know, just give it to me. Just give it to me. And she doesn't want to let go of it. And he has something greater in store for her, but she just can't see it. You know, and for me, that's how it felt. Like, I was just holding things back from God. Um, but I think that God really wanted me to be right with him um, before I went to Clemson. Because only a few months later, I lost my father to stroke complications. Um, and that was just a few months after going to Clemson. And I just think that now, I can't imagine feeling disconnected from God and going through a tragedy like that. You know, so God had to draw me close like that lamb before he knew I would need him the most. Um, and so I think about that. You're fighting God right now, and 
not wanting to trust him and, you know, running around in circles. What is he trying to prepare you for? You know, what's just around the corner that he's trying to draw you closer to him so that you'll have a refuge in order to get through it? Um, so we all have a race that's marked out for us to run, but we won't get there until we strip off that sin. So I don't know if you already have confessed that sin, but I know I was that girl at this retreat that had all the secrets um, and was keeping it to myself. And it wasn't until I read Ezekiel 16. I don't know if you guys have ever read Ezekiel 16, um, but it changed my life. Because it's God talking to Israel, that's his people, as an adulterous wife. And it starts out by God saying how beautiful Israel was when she was born and how he, he was able to clean her up, put earrings in her ear, put beautiful clothes on her. Everything that she had, all her beauty, he gave it to her. And he loved her. And he treasured her. And then in the next verse, it talks about how she used all of that to carry on prostitution, to spit in his face, to commit adultery with him. And that broke my heart because I think as I read the Bible, I never associated to making God feel something, to his emotions, to him weeping over my sin. And that was the first time that I felt like through scripture, God is weeping because of what I'm doing. You know, he, he created me. He gave me all these things. He called me beautiful. And I'm using it to glorify myself, to glorify these guys. And it, it truly broke my heart. And I knew that it didn't just break God's heart for me here and now. It broke God's heart for the future because he saw this moment. You know, and he knew that if I were to stay in that sin, there was no way that I could be standing here before you guys today. And I love that. I love that, that, you know, God has that vision for us. And he has the same vision for you. And I think that, you know, God definitely wanted me to soar. And uh, he wants you to soar as well. <laughs> so ask yourself, what's on the other side of my sin? What beautiful race does God have marked out for you, but you're not willing to, you know, See it because you don't want to risk giving up that instant gratification. You know, and Matt, you know, talked about a lot of the sins last night, but it may not be those blatant sins that we're dealing with. For me, when I was sitting here, it was a lot of jealousy and gossip, idolatry and envy. You know, things I wanted to hide behind a smile at church, and I coined it silent pride. So it's not that, like, I jump in the room and I'm in your face and I'm like, man, they're prideful. You know, but it's that I'm smiling and you're telling me something and I'm secretly thinking, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Thank you, though. That was nice. But I'm not going to follow that. You know, that's good for you. And so thinking that you know better, um, but really trying to do it your own way. And I've lived that double life as a disciple, and it's exhausting. And God doesn't want you to carry that heavy weight on your back. He wants you to soar. You know, so throw it off immediately this weekend. As soon as you leave here, you know, as you're walking with somebody to the breakout classes, throw it off today so you can soar. So I want you guys to just take one minute to identify what that thing is for you. If you've already confessed it last night, great. But if you haven't, write down your paper now so that you don't forget it. And you don't forget that it's something that is weighing you down. And don't look at your neighbor's paper, guys. So take a minute to do that right now. What is God telling you is that thing that's weighing you down? And the reason we're hammering this so hard this weekend is because we know that confessing sin is crucial for you guys to make it, not just through your college years, but for the rest of your life, being a disciple. You know, I was telling you guys about the memory lane, but that closet over there on the other side of the steps, we call that the confession closet, at least my friends and I do. Um, we were here almost 15 years ago, and that's when we confessed all of our sins. We heard a lesson, we pulled each other into that closet, and we cried and prayed and confessed for a couple of hours. 
Um, and it was transformative. I don't know what that woman talked about that, that weekend, and you probably won't remember this in 15 years. But I remember being in that closet and crying and confessing my sin. And those women would call ourselves the Yaya. You know, we are still best friends to this day. So that's us in the cafeteria where you guys ate breakfast this morning, over a decade ago. That's me and Courtney Pauly right here in this aisle. And then this is us a year ago. We go on a Yaya retreat. We call it our, our Yaya retreat. So every December we get together and for a couple days, we choose a place, a tree house, an Airbnb, whatever. And um, we just spend a couple days praying and dreaming together and catching up together. And now we're in South Korea and oh, Chicago or Seattle. And um, a lot of people are still in Georgia and Boston. We're all over, but we make it you know, a priority to be together at once a year. And that bond was really forged in that closet over there, you know, on weekends just like this. And God has that for you guys as well. So distractions keep us from running our race, from soaring the way God wants us to. And, you know, whenever you're willing to give it all up for God, he opens the door for you. You know, I didn't detail it, but the Clemson mission team, I told you guys that I was leaving college and just going. When I made that decision, God made the mission team a 12-hour course for me. And what I mean by that is that my major was child and family development. And under that umbrella that I didn't know is ministry. And so when I told my professor that I was leaving to go on a mission team, he asked for some more details, and I told him it was for church, and he said, if your minister is willing to be your supervisor, you can go and it'll be a 12-hour course, and you can finish and graduate on time. And so, blew my mind, because I never thought, I just thought, okay, I'm giving this all up for God, no strings attached, and God took care of it. You know, my mom was going to kill me. My mom was about to kill me, but it literally became a 12-hour course, and my final exam was pulling together the kids' kingdom for our inaugural service. Just making sure the kids came ran well, that we had teachers, and I did like a curriculum and a lesson, and that was my final exam. And I was able to go back to UGA, graduate, and then come back to Clemson. And that's just an example of how God will throw open the floodgates when you really trust him and give it all to him. He does have that big bear waiting there to show you that he has something greater. And so all I needed to do was two minutes of work, and God carried me the rest of the way. Um, and I think that if you're fighting God right now in some area of your life, don't take the Israelite route and be wandering for 40 years, fighting him when you can just go the route that is, you know, takes trust. Um, and so distractions make our life harder than they need to be. But I think, you know, being able to rest in God gives us so much more than we could ever give ourselves. So whatever is distracting you right now, I ask you to soar above it, fly above it. You know, confess it to somebody and get it out of your life. You know, we soar by trusting in God's voice, not society, not even our own at times. Um, and that brings me to our next point, which is soaring above your desires. So this could be kind of confusing because our desires should be fine. Why should we need to soar above our own desires? And the reason is because we don't always know what's best for us. We think we do, but we really don't always know. And our, our scripture is Colossians 3. So if you guys want to turn there or just look on the slide, Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Since you have been raised to a new life of Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. So just think about thinking about the things of heaven. What does that mean? Not of earth. You know, that would be a good flight time. What do the things of heaven look like? You know, I know God's there. I know there's no pain, no sorrow. 
but you know, I think that's so powerful that if we can just get our mind off our distractions and even our own desires at times and think about what God has for us, we can truly soar. You know, but what's hard is that the things of earth can be really appealing, just like those parties were appealing, those guys were appealing. You know, that lifestyle, those friendships were really appealing, but they were distracting, distracting for me because I wasn't able to fly above them. You know, and in 2012, I went to grad school to become a speech therapist. Um, so I had no clue what I wanted to do after I left the University of Georgia. Um, I was in Clemson, and then Matt moved to Savannah, so I moved shortly after that, uh, kicking and screaming, because I love Clemson. Um, so I moved to Savannah, and I just started nannying twin boys. So with this college degree, I was a nanny, and I didn't know, like, what to do with that. So I had dinner with a woman one night, and she mentioned speech therapy. And I looked into it, and the college down the road had um, the major. So I applied, and I got in. It was crazy because I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, so I started grad school, and not only was I able to, you know, get into grad school, but God gave me an assistantship, which is a blessing. If you know what that is, that means that college was free. So grad school was completely free. And because I was an RA in college, I was able to do my assistantship through housing. So not only was school free, but we had an apartment, a two-bedroom apartment on campus that was free. They took care of meal plans. I already said to care of tuition, and I got a paycheck every month on top of that. So, you know, that became my focus. And so I give you guys a painted picture because this is a blessing. You know, being able to have all these things given to me was a blessing, but even blessings sometimes, if they are not allowing us to put God first, can become sin. You know, and so I am a nerd. And so my focus became getting straight A's, being the best graduate assistant I could be, um, and all of the while neglecting God, neglecting Matt, because you can't do it all. At that same time, our church leaders had left and we were leading the church. So let me tell you guys, I was in grad school, working full time, leading the church, discipling probably 10 girls, um, married, um, and in school. So all this at one time, where's God in all of that? And that was really feeding into my sin, which was that desire to be busy, to have it all my, you know, effort to, to flap for two hours instead of, you know, only flapping for two, um, two minutes. And so I think that, like, God was really trying to get my attention that this is not how this is supposed to go. Um, and so I was putting unnecessary per, per, like, pressure on myself, trying to be a perfectionist, and all for what? You know, Ecclesiastes will tell you that it's all meaningless. You graduate in two years, and then what? Like, what's going to happen after you give all those things up? And so sometimes what's good for you is not what's best for you. So we have to identify that in our own lives. There are some good things that we're doing, maybe a club or organization, that's keeping us from being able to be at meetings of the body, to be in Bible studies, to be available to be used by God. We have to get those things out, too. Who thought that choir would be like a, you know, a distraction? But maybe it is. It is not allowing you to be able to be with the kingdom of God. You know, you have to be able to prioritize God in your kingdom, or it isn't best for you. You know, your plans and desires may be getting in the way of God's will for your life and his will for you to soar. You can't soar if your plans are more important to you than pleasing God. And in my case, they were. I wasn't taking advice. I wanted all the accolades. I wanted to have my assistantship, my straight A's. I wanted to be able to do it all. And I had superwoman syndrome, and God wanted to really take that out. <laughs> And I think the question that I should have been asking is, do you see any area of my life that I'm not allowing God to be first? And after I asked that question, I quit my job. I gave up over $10,000 in tuition money, a monthly stipend, a free apartment, meal plan. Um, and I think that for me, 
I'm not gonna say that was easy, I just walked away like, no. It was horrible and, and hard, but I think for me, I had to ask the question is how much is my relationship with God worth? You know, is it worth my, my marriage, my faith? You know, I, I want to make sure that I'm putting those things first and prioritizing those things. You know, what, what good is it for me to gain the whole world but forfeit my dear soul? You know, and in order for us to really be able to soar the way God wants us to soar, that's you, insert your face there. Um, if we want to really be able to do that, we have to be able to throw all those things off that hinder. And so in conclusion, I want to just share that, you know, to soar, we have to trust God. You know, in this stage of life, I finally feel like I'm being able to soar, not because I figured it all out, but because I'm trying to trust God every single day. Not that it's easy, but that that is my focus, to trust God. Um, fighting against the things that come easy for me, which is to do it all, um, and to put all the effort on my, on my own wings. Um, but I'm allowing God to carry me more often. You know, soaring takes submitting our will to God, throwing off everything that hinders, confessing our sins, and setting our mind, our, heart, our hearts on things above. Not on Instagram, not on Facebook, not on perfecting your next TikTok dance move. You guys sometimes spend more time on those dance moves than you do on like reading the Bible. We know more of Beyonce's words than we need to know Jesus' words. You know, we can memorize all those things, but like don't spend time with God. And I just, I just figured out TikTok, okay y'all? So I'm kind of into it. So I'm thinking to myself as well. Um, but you know, I think another thing that keeps us from really soaring is that our vision is not God's vision. I'm going to show you guys a creepy slide. It creeped me right out when I saw it, okay? The reason I wanted to be so creepy is because I wanted to stick with you in your bones, okay? This is, this is how we would look if we had evil vision. So on the left, you see, this is human vision. We can only see right here, but then this is evil vision. You're able to see so much more, almost 20 times as we can see. And so if this is how crazy and different we would look if we could see how evil sees, imagine how different we would look if we could see how God sees. Hopefully not that creepy, okay? But I want you guys to see, I want you guys to imagine this man every time you think about yourself in a way that's less than how God sees you. Every time you look in the mirror and you don't see yourself the way your Heavenly Father has created you, you look crazy. You look real crazy. But this is how different it is you know, from our vision from God. You know, God has incredible vision for your life. And you have to catch a dream for yourself. You know, I think if your fears and insecurities didn't exist, if you actually saw yourself as an eagle without limits, what would you do for God? Today, within your own character, using your own talents, maybe in your worship. Maybe you're out there and you can sing, and you're just not using that for God. In your family. Maybe there's somebody in your family that's really hurting and they need you to speak up and share your faith. But you're insecure, you're scared. If that didn't exist, what would you do in your family today? On your campus? Is there somebody in your class, maybe a professor, that really needs God but you're too afraid to share? With your evangelism, when's the last time you shared your faith? Just going on campus and sharing your faith. Sharing at a grocery store. Matt's father was converted because he had a religious bumper sticker and he was parked at a grocery store. And a woman just shared her faith because that week, her goal was to share her faith with everybody with a religious bumper sticker. So she went around the grocery store parking lot and shared with everybody that pulled up with a religious bumper sticker. And because she chose to do that just one week, Matt's father was converted, his mother was converted, his uncle was converted, his grandparents were converted, his aunt was converted, his brother and sister, he was converted. His whole family was changed because one person 
decided to challenge themselves to be evangelistic for one week. What can you do? What about in the kingdom? Do you think about judge your campus ministry, judge your campus, or do you dream for God's kingdom as a whole? Dream for God this weekend. He's the only one that will be with you for your entire life. And that's a promise. Dream with him and for him. You know, we were at staff meeting this last week, and Doug Arthur, um, one of the evangelists on staff up in Boston, he shared about going through some things and cleaning out his uh, bookshelf. He came across a journal. And on that journal, he saw goals that he had written for himself, you know, almost every five years. The next five years, I want to do this. The next five years, I want to do that. And in 2020, I want to do this. I want to have this particular job title, which is to oversee all the, the missions work across the kingdom. And he actually just got that title, you know, a month ago. And so just to think about that, he dreamed about that decades ago to be able to be that person. And God saw that dream through because he had the courage to think outside the box and to dream big for God. When you look at your journals in 10, 15 years, will you see any dreams? Will you see any vision? Will you see anything that you'll be able to say, wow, God really made that happen in my life? And if your dreams don't scare you a little bit, then they aren't built on faith. They're based on you, your efforts. You have to really rely on God so that you can grow. And there's more work for you to be glorified in that. So God intended for us to score. If you were invited here today, he wants you to soar. He wants you to ask the person who invited you, how do I learn more about God? How do I rely more on him? Study his word out and don't put it off. Why do you have this one study a week? Ask to study more. Don't, there's nothing that's waiting for you in the world. Soar above it. And if you're a member here, confess the pages. Talk about it. What's going on in your life today? And dream together. You can borrow our confession closet. And dream together for your future, for this church. We need you. We need you to think about the next level. It can't just come from your campus ministers to tell you what to do. You help them out. You give them vision. And as I was going to close, I was thinking, if I could ask Jesus, you know, when does he think he scored the highest in his, his time here on earth? You know, and I think he would say that it was the cross. You know, it wasn't a time that was, of course, not easy for him or, or any of those things, but it was a time he relied on God the most, that he needed God the most. And that's the same for us. When we're really soaring and relying on God, it may feel like suffering at times, but it really is to glorify God. And so to close out, I want to uh, sing a song for you guys. Does anybody know Phil? Really? Do y'all know Phil? Okay, now I feel old again. Do y'all know Heidi Klum? Okay, her ex-husband. <laughs> he wrote a song about ego soaring, so I'm going to sing it for you guys, okay? <clears throat> I'm just joking, y'all can't sing. <laughs> I'm just going to read the lyrics. I can't sing, please. Okay. And if you've ever seen Space Jam, this song's at the end. And it says, I want to fly like an eagle to the sea. Fly like an eagle, let your spirit carry me. I want to fly. Oh, yeah. Fly right into your future. And that's what God has for you guys. He wants you to fly right into your future. There is nobody in the Bible who got anywhere successful without trusting God first. And that's the same for you guys today. So this weekend, dream with God. Dream with each other so that he can help you to soar and reach your full potential. Thank you guys for letting me share.